we gotta be okay with talking about money and having people in our lives that we can discuss it without feeling shame or feeling like we're bragging. If we had more of those conversations, less people would be in debt. They would put less on their credit cards and they would have less stress. That's Winnie Sun, the wealth whisperer. A regular contributor to CNBC, Forbes, Fox News and more. She's one of the most followed financial advisors on social media today, but what will strike you most is her still presence and her ability to connect with you wherever you are on your money journey. Listen in as she shares her money journey with us and the key lessons she learned along the way. I'm Finola Howard, intuitive marketer, your host and founder of How Great Marketing Works. I believe that every business has a story to tell because that's how the market decides whether to buy or not. And your story has to resonate with who you are and with the people you want to serve. And this podcast is about helping you reach the market in a way that feels right to you. So if you're an entrepreneur with a dream you want to make real, then this is the podcast for you because great marketing is your truth shared. And today I want to talk about a topic that my next guest describes it as the most feared subject in the world today. Welcome, Winnie Sun. Thank you so much, my friend, for having me. It's great to be here with you. Oh, I'm very touched that you're here. Thank you so much. It comes up quite a lot when I'm working with entrepreneurs, because as you know, I'm a strategist and I work with entrepreneurs, helping them take to the next level. And actually, Winnie has this great program also called level up with Winnie. So we're of similar minds. What do you see with entrepreneurs that is there something that you see regularly? Like I notice from all of your social media, you're incredibly relatable. You have we met on your Twitter chat, which gets 150 million impressions per week on your Twitter chat. And we talked about brand. So as a as a as a wealth and financial advisor, you touch so many different topics around entrepreneurs and what they face. And I'm quite curious about this as a strategy. It's so accessible. It's quite unusual for someone in your space. Well, Fanella, you're so kind to say that. I think as entrepreneurs, we sometimes feel that we're always in the storm, right? There's so many things that we need to be thinking about from our consumer, our client, in my case, our business to tax filing deadlines to managing home life. And we're just juggling constantly. And I think what one commonality that I've seen is we tend to put ourselves last. And as a financial advisor, I try to emphasize and remind those that I'm lucky enough to work with that we need to remember to take care of ourselves along the way. And what do you mean by taking care of yourself? Well, when I think about taking care of yourself, you know, it's much like when you're flying on an airplane and the flight attendant reminds you that before, in case of an emergency, before you can help others, you need to don that mask on yourself first. And that's especially the case when you run your own business, when you have people that are depending on you for their income and your your clients that rely on you for your services, is that if you're not in a good place financially, then you're really no good to other people. Because one of the biggest 
uh, fears that I have, and I think that it's important to, to fear of this as well, is that you're not going to be okay financially and that you won't be able to uh, run a sustainable business. But even more fearful is that you're running a business and you're taking care of all these people and then 10, 20, 30 years from now, when you exit or you retire, that you have nothing to show for it. And you can't even take care of yourself financially because along the way, uh, all those battle scars and days you've been spending on your business, that you were taking care of everybody else but yourself. So you don't have a retirement plan. You don't have like um, an emergency fund. Your mortgage isn't paid off. And, and, and your future healthcare costs, like you just didn't think about how you were gonna cover them when you're in your 70s and 80s. And I think those are the things that are most important when you're running full speed ahead on your business. I am so delighted you said that because every other conversation or most conversations in this space, the answer to how do you take care of yourself or what do you mean by that is, Oh, you know, do you meditate and do you journal and do you do that? And they are really, really important in the health and exercise. But very rarely are we spoken to about taking care of yourself financially. So I'm bravo. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, I think it's really important. And what's nice about uh, the financial world, as we know, is, you know, there's sort of this stigma, especially with creators we see today and young people where I'll speak with someone and they have had their first taste of success. Maybe their first check came in. And so often we'll, I'll talk to them and say, so what do you plan to do? What do you want to do? And like so many times I hear, oh, I'm going to buy myself a Tesla. Oh, I'm going to buy myself, you know, this or that. And then I say, okay, well, that's great. But before you do that, can we talk about another option, right? Because we know that health is wealth, but wealth is also health as well. And someone who wants to be in that positive mindset to be able to be successful long-term needs to feel whole, needs to feel that they're at peace and they're going to be okay. And so many times we discount the feeling of financial security, of knowing that you're going to be able to buy groceries a month from now, and you're going to be able to make your car payment and your house payment or your rent. That gives you peace to be able to be creative and be and try different things and um, meet new people and, and venture into different areas because you're feeling that sense of that you don't have to worry about how you're going to make ends meet. And I do think that as entrepreneurs, um, you need to see this as something you have to do. And the good news is it's actually a lot simpler than people make it seem. You know, of course, would it be great if everybody had a financial advisor and worked with someone like myself? Of course, that would be ideal. But even before that, like when I first started my first business when I was 19 years old, I didn't have any idea of what a financial advisor was. I certainly wouldn't feel that I would need one or I could you know, I had enough to work with one, but you know, you can do simple steps like putting away a certain amount of your money every single month into an account titled house fund or vacation fund or retirement fund. And you just literally have money automatically 
funneled into these accounts that are titled with those important financial goals. And just knowing that it happens, then you don't have to worry. And all of a sudden, you know, you look back, you have something to show for all that hard work that you've put in. I love that. So pragmatic. I remember working when you talk about creators also, I remember working with an artist several years ago and there's such a an idea in a, in that sector where that they have to suffer for their art and the money part of it is really a bad part because money is bad, you know? And I remember working with him and he was on one of my programs and he started to see things differently, that he started to see his art also as a business, but with with no compromise here. He was still serving his, you know, imagination and his creativity and all the rest of it. But I remember at the end of it, he made a decision to actually change his life. And I remember at the end of it, he said, thank you, Fanola. It's the first time I've ever been able to buy a car. And that's huge. It's huge. It's huge. You feel like you have something to show for. You know, I had a, a client a few years ago, quite a few years ago, and I remember, you know, we had worked together and her portfolio had performed well. And she said, Winnie, do you think I can take some money out? And I said, well, sure. What do you need the money for? Like, you don't have to tell me, but if you want to tell me, we can talk about it. She's like, well, I do want to talk about it with you because I feel guilty. I feel like mm. I want to take some money out and buy myself a diamond ring. And I said, okay. Oh, I love well, it. And she says, because all my life I raise my kids, I take care of my husband, and I always took care of other people, but I never did anything for myself. Do you think it's okay mm. that I take out money for a diamond ring? And I said, I don't think it's okay. I think it's something you have to do. You need to do this because you've worked this many years and you have something to show for it. You're gonna feel, every time you look down on your finger, you're gonna feel good. And she didn't buy anything extravagant. She just wanted to have something. And I'm so glad she did because, you know, money is really a tool that gets you from point A to point B. It's not, of course, it's something people flaunt on TV, but it's not about that. Money is a tool. Money is a tool that helps you, you know, feed your pets, to build, take care of your kids to go to college. Money is that tool. Um, but it also, we don't work and live just to sock away money. Money also can provide stability, but also celebrations. So I think like we as a society have to get comfortable with the concept of money. Like you talked about the artist, right? Felt mm. like if I talk about money, I'm selling out because I'm supposed to be focused on my art. And that's, mm. that's beautiful and it's poetic. But the reality is, you know, we don't get mad at the fact that we have shelter. We don't get mad at the fact that, you know, that money helps us get from point A to point B in terms of transportation. So we got to be okay with talking about money and having people in our lives that we can discuss it without feeling shame or feeling like we're bragging, but having healthy conversations. Because I think if that's, if we had more of those conversations, less people would be in debt. They would put less on their credit cards and they would have less stress. And, and, as we know, you know, marriages are lost because of money. People make terrible decisions in their lives. They be, they go and they become homeless and they, you know, they, they become drug addicts. A lot of that I think stems from um, insecurities 
surrounding my money. So I do think it's much like health. So that's why I started off talking about health is wealth and certainly wealth is health as well. It's you're quite unique in your perspective. Uh, we see so much TV about the definitions of success are illustrated or shown with pictures of somebody on a yacht, pictures of all of these things and often quite fake pictures, actually. And to hear you in your beautiful, gentle, intuitive way, really a heart centered way of speaking, it's more accessible. It, it feels to me like something that's very purposeful on your part that it is. So when I say purposeful, I mean that that this is your purpose to do this. Is that fair to say? You're so kind to say that. I feel when I hear you say it to me, it still doesn't sound real. And I'll, I'll share with you why is, um, you know, so often people will say like, did you always think you're going to be a financial advisor? Was this like, mm. did your parents do this? And I said, no, not at all. Actually, um, three months before I started college, or was about to start college, my parents actually went bankrupt. Um, so they okay. were great savers, but it invested, you know, they didn't know much about investing. So investing in something that unfortunately literally went bankrupt right before I started college. Um, so I couldn't go to college. I really wanted to, cause it was too expensive, but not only that is as soon as I started college, it wasn't even about like joining clubs and meeting friends. It was, I have to not only put myself to college, you know, but I need to get work quickly because I needed to help my mom keep the house because my dad felt so much guilt from that bad investment. He actually couldn't, he mentally just checked out. He couldn't work anymore. So I remember you know, being 17, 18 years old and just being so worried, sick to my stomach of how we were going to be okay. Because at a, at a young age, you don't know what you don't know. And you think like bankruptcy is the end of the world and someone's going to take your house and where, you know, where's my sister going to live? My mom, like, like what's going to happen? And like, that was sort of my first experience of not having. And I remember driving to work and like, I didn't have enough money to get back in terms of gas and having to borrow from a friend. And at work there was craft services and I wait for everybody to eat. Cause I wasn't really supposed to eat craft services. I wait for everybody to eat. And then what was left over, I'd go and get some food. And then I would borrow money from my roommate, you know, for like books and whatnot. And it was such a humbling experience, but it was such a rich and empowering and wonderful experience too. I think that kind of sets the tone to why I became a financial advisor. It was sort of, I knew that my parents as immigrants didn't have the financial know-how and I figured it was something I could learn and help. And it just became, wow, this is, this is for people like me who don't look the part, who don't come from money, but I have uh, an ability um, of knowing, not having, and knowing how we can accumulate slowly and I can be like, I can be 
putting proof. I can show you how I did it, right? Self-made. And I can live the part where even now, where now I've been a financial advisor for over two decades now. So financially, I'm very comfortable. Um, but still, I live way below my means, you know? I don't believe in buying new cars. Um, and even with my kids, I have three kids and my husband, and we definitely practice what I preach. We still live mm. very carefully. And I think it's, I think it's a, to me, that's probably one of the, the best lessons that could have happened in my life. My, my mom actually says like, even recently, she's even, she's in her late seventies. Even now she says, I'm so sorry that, you know, we lost all that money when you were, when you really needed it. And I know how hard you work during college. And cause I used to work until like 4am in the morning, I did something called access control in the dorms to save on dorm mm. costs. And she goes, I don't even know how you did it. You went to school, you sleep all night. And like, how did that happen? And I was like, don't worry. It was all good. Because if that hadn't happened, I wouldn't be here today. Can I ask you, did you feel that at the time? Um, I didn't know what to think. All I knew was that I needed to hurry and make money. Um, that's all I remember. And so I was juggling three or four jobs. I was always, you know, looking for ways to advance within the small jobs that I had. Uh, it didn't seem terrible, to be honest with you. I think because... It gave me a lot of confidence because I think I had a lot of confidence knowing, I mean, I started like little businesses since I was like eight or nine years old. So it wasn't like making money was foreign to me. So hmm. I don't think it was terrible, but I do know that I definitely struggled in terms of my grades in college. And I was embarrassed because I'd always been a high achieving student in school. And I really just couldn't because I was so tired and so burnt out. And I was in some classes, I was barely making, you know, so I remember driving home knowing that report cards were coming and being sent to the mailbox at home. I remember driving home to my parents' house and making sure that I got the report cards out of the mailbox before they saw them. Um, so. Did they ever see them? They didn't. But then later, I mean, now I've told them like what happened. And then they said, they said they just felt bad. They felt guilty knowing that that happened. Oh, I know. Yeah. Another curiosity for me to ask you, before this happened with your parents becoming bankrupt, what was the course you were going to study? Uh, so, I mean, I got into like some of the best private schools in the United States here and, um, and right. And so it just wasn't enough money, right? It wasn't enough scholarship, not enough grants and whatnot. So I ended up, uh, I graduated from UCLA, which is a wonderful college here. Um, and it's a public school and, um, I did have financial aid. I did have student loans, but we made it work and it turned out to be such a blessing because it was such a wonderful education experience. Um, but I think that I don't look back. I don't look back and think of what could have been. I just yeah. think that what happened was meant to be. And I, my life is so much richer because of it. And I do feel like had this struggle not happened, I probably wouldn't have reached the level that I'm at currently. 
So I'm very grateful. I, I, I see nothing negative. And I think about like my kids have so much better a life than I uh, did then, but I almost feel sad for them because I'm thinking like they didn't have struggle and struggle is actually not a bad thing because we come out stronger and we have, we learn different lessons because of the struggle too. Absolutely. I wasn't asking for the reason of regret. I was asking, I was curious about the other skill sets that you had or interests that you had oh. before you discovered uh, the wealth uh, area and the financial advice area. I was just curious about your other interests. That's all. Ah, uh, yeah. Well, I, you know, to be honest with you, I, I didn't have very clear interests. Um, I okay. went in as pre-med and thinking uh, that okay. would be good. But of course, as soon as I started, I knew for a fact that I wasn't up to it. <laughs> uh, I just, it was just too competitive. I, I wasn't born to be a doctor, but typical Asian parents, right? You are either a, a doctor, engineer, or a lawyer. There was pretty much three options. So that's why I thought I'd be a doctor because of the three, I thought that would be good, but then okay. it was too difficult. I obviously wasn't going to be an engineer. It's not my skill set. And I was like, okay, well, last option would be law. So I did graduate with a political science degree. Um, and then I worked in television. So I started a television audience production company when I was 19 years old in college. And um, I was filling audiences for America's Funniest Home Videos and Wheel of Fortune and Jeopardy, and MTV and Gladiator. I was moving thousands of people to different shows every single a week. And then I sold that business to a competitor when I was 24 years old. That business was actually the second largest in the United States. So we, I did reach, that was my first liquidity event, my first business that I sold. And so that um, was the product of having to find a lot of jobs, uh, attending yeah. UCLA, which was very close to Hollywood. So again, like just yeah. like little blessings. You're a really good communicator. That's the other thing. I wasn't. It's that excess. <laughs> no, we're not. <laughs> I wasn't. I was so shy. This is all, this is thanks to CNBC. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Fantastic. You're amazing at what you do, but it hasn't translated into the success you wished for. You want to make a bigger impact and it's time to do something about it. It's time that your brand, your website and all your messaging speak to that bigger vision you have for your business. So if you're ready to build a business that moves you, moves you professionally, financially and personally, then this is our invitation to design your own success. Design Your Own Success is the ultimate live and in-person program dedicated to businesswomen like you. Say goodbye to endless decision-making and fragmented initiatives that never seem to move the needle far enough. Instead, spend five days in November with us and our winning team at the Brook Lodge in McCredden Village, fast-tracking your success. Design your own success, five days in person, packed with exactly what you need to take your business to the next level. Find out more at designyourownsuccess.com and register your spot today. This is Finola and Lucy. And we can't wait to meet you there. What does it mean to you to invest in yourself? Investing in yourself is taking time to listen to yourself and learning who you are and taking the moment to really reflect on your gifts and the things that you uniquely can do and want to do and what makes you 
a human being that you can be proud of, not like your parents can be proud of or your or someone else can be proud of. Like, what is it about you that you inherently love about yourself? And, you know, so often, especially young people, they have no idea or to try to say something, but they don't really own it. And I think when you invest in yourself, you need to know what your gifts are. And then you need to commit to, you know, saving money for yourself. That's sort of the more practical investing in yourself. You know, saving money, working on your skill set, finding areas that maybe you feel like you could polish a little bit more or spend a little bit more time. Maybe you are you have a great voice. Well, then you should invest in learning how to sing if that's what you want. Whatever it is, you don't want to look back and have regrets. You'll want to know that you gave it your all. That whole carpe diem uh, Mm. concept, like you really Mm. need, we need to own it. Because Mm. I think, I tell my kids this, I want you to look back in life and have no regrets and feel like, you know, what you did and what you said, you feel good. I actually had this conversation with my son. My son's 14, he's like first year in high school and going through that uh, teenage-ness, right? And, um, you know, a typical, I think, hormones and puberty, typical one day came back and like, like, was just like not in a good mood. And mom, everything mom did was like not to his liking. And I said to him, I said, you know, you are, you probably don't think about this, but I want you to think about it just for a second about like how good a life you have and how, what, what, but what more out of a mom could I be for you? Cause I want you oh, to think about that. That's a very good one. Right. Because <laughs> I don't want you to have regrets 10, mm. 20 years from now and think like, I probably should have been kinder to my mom. You know, mm. and I say, cause I had the most amazing dad, but I'm sure there are moments where I probably could have been nicer and kinder to him. And it wasn't until I lost him during the early years of, of like, you know, right now during the pandemic that, you know, there's, there's always going to be some risk. I didn't want him to have regrets. So I think in, when you think about investing yourself, like you want to spend time to get to know yourself. And even if it takes you six months for some people, you know, they're never alone however long, like really know yourself and challenge yourself to reach your full potential. Don't be okay with just good enough. Good enough is not good enough. A question for you. That this idea, I'm, I'm writing a lot about full potential at the moment. I'm actually writing a book. And so this is a topic I'm writing about at the moment. Okay. But one of the things that comes up quite a lot as people, when they reflect on what's happening, you know, when they're trying to get to the next level in their business and it's this, you know, this point where in a stage in the business where there has to be a break with how you used to approach the business to go into this next level of the business. And, but this lovely term that's used everywhere, imposter syndrome raises its ugly head all the time. So when you speak about, you know, knowing yourself and knowing your gifts and knowing your brilliance, it's very challenging to do that when someone is suffering from imposter syndrome or how, what's your take on imposter syndrome is a better question for you. Well, I love your question because it's a big one and I, I've suffered through it yeah. throughout my career. And I know everybody who has done anything challenging 
I just felt that way. Well, you know, one thing that really helped, and this wasn't even that long ago, I think it was recently, um, you know, our biographies and our resumes get longer and longer. I know mine has. And then, mm-hmm. you know, I read and interview many people uh, on my shows and whatnot. I, I study them and I'm like, oh, wow, so impressive. I'm excited about meeting this person. And then one day I took a moment and I read my own bio, my own resume. And I was like, wow, if this wasn't me, I would think this person's pretty impressive. <laughs> and then it, it dawned on me. I'm like, fantastic. why don't I feel better? You know, I should give myself some credit. And so what I did is I took it, took the resume and I shared it with my kids. And then they're like, oh, mom, you did this and you did this and this. And then to see them be excited and proud, um, it made me feel so good. And I think that it was sort of the first time in a very long time where I felt like, yeah, mom was pretty great. Or has done some pretty good <laughs> things. So I think like periodically we need to, we need to give ourselves more grace. You know, so often I look in the mirror, I'm like, oh, getting old. Oh, like gaining some weight again. Oh, you know, we're just constantly nitpicking at ourselves, but we need to stop that. And I do think it gets easier as you get older. But what I've learned to do, at least in the last five years, is to really prioritize. Um, and so I have this I have this motto that I share with my kids. I said, sometimes you really need to slow down to speed up. And what mm. I mean by that is you need to figure out when you need to step away from your work, when you need to you know, do a trip to the park or the beach or, you know, go see friends I haven't seen in a long time or your loved ones and grandma, you know, those are things that are important because if you don't slow down, you cannot speed up. And I actually believe that you need to slow down more so than you think you should in order to speed up. So I run multiple businesses, very busy, very productive businesses, but I couldn't do that if I didn't get away very regularly, you know? So I think like we need to get away from the guilt of taking vacations or taking the afternoon off or just like taking a long nap, all those things, there's no shame in that. There's nothing wrong with that. And you absolutely should embrace it. I'm a big believer with my teams. I always tell them, um, I honor your time, right? After you check out four o'clock, five o'clock, whenever you get after work, you will not hear from me. I will not bother you on the weekends. I might send you a text and wish you happy birthday or something like that, um, unless it's an absolute emergency, you will not hear from me. And I do that because I honor your time and I respect you. And I most importantly, you deserve time um, that's not work. And I want you to forget about work during that time. And I think we need to do that for ourselves, but we need to do that for our employees. Uh, but so many times entrepreneurs have no problem doing that for their employees, but they really have trouble doing that for themselves. And I do think mm. that we need to be more proactive on setting boundaries for ourselves, right? I don't do client meetings on the weekends and I don't do client meetings after hours unless it's like a one-off, very special situation. Um, And I think that's been sort of my secret sauce of, you know, producing or being so productive at this level. 
It's wonderful to hear you say that. I was just in a webinar today, running a webinar today, talking about next level success. And we were discussing the limits that people have over going to the next level in their business. And one of the things, the greatest thing that they're afraid of is being responsible for hiring more people and also this danger of having to work 24-7. There is this this story somewhere in the world that keeps leaking into the entrepreneur's brain that says you have to work harder, faster, with more people, responsible for more people. So it's beautiful to hear you present an alternative as evidence that it doesn't work like that. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work that way. You know, I run a multi-million dollar practice. And, and I think that one of the secrets to that is that it's been, uh, it's a small team and I have almost no turnover on my team. And uh, people are paid well and taking and treated very, very, very well. Um, and there's no, there's no shortcut to that. You need to either invest a ton of money, but I really in belief that there's, n- you can never write a check big enough. There's always going to be someone that's going to out write a check bigger than you, but uh, you can outkind anybody anytime mm. if you choose to. So, I mean, I have had the same business partner for 21 years. Um, everybody mm-hmm. on my team's been with me forever. And I am constantly reminding them how valuable they are to me and how much I appreciate them. And um, and that is really why we go into work with no stress, right? And my motto mm-hmm. is, are we doing brain surgery? Nope, we're not doing brain surgery. So whatever mistakes we make can be fixed. And so mm-hmm. I will treasure you. So your time with mm. me, yeah, you are my employee. Yes, you're part of my team, but you're a human and I treasure you. And so when you're with me, you'll be treated as such. And I think that's the key to retaining the absolute best talent. Absolute. Like I look at my team. I am working with just the most incredible professionals that you'll ever meet. And people always ask like, where did you find him? Like, for example, Curtis on my team, he started with me when he was 19 years old as an intern. And I remind him every week, I'm going to do whatever it takes. So you'll never leave me. And he's like, don't worry. <laughs> me. I'm good. I know. I know. <laughs> and that just, let me ask enough. you another question. Apologies. Another question for you. When you, so you've, you've cracked that nut of how, of how to hire the right people and to take care of them and be kind to them and bring out the best in them, bring out their brilliance. So it actually nurtures the brilliance in your own business. Did you always get it right? How did you deal with maybe people who would have pushed your boundaries or tell me how you learned that? I learned from having the right people in my life. Uh, because I didn't know much about this. Um, I grew up in a household where um, I had a really, really tough mom. And she always said that, you know, kids are seen and not heard. And so even like, I didn't even speak until I was 12 years old. I was so shy and so insecure. And I felt like I wanted to hide in the hole. I was, I literally, the teachers would come and tell my mom, like, she's a great student, but she doesn't talk. Um, And so I had a real, I really was not good at communication. And in the early years of the financial industry, I just head down, did my work. And like people would like try to, like they would treat me really badly. And I didn't understand why. And I was like, I'm just doing my work. I'm not bothering anyone. But then I realized working with um, my mentor, who was my branch manager at Smith Barney at another office. And he taught me, he said, you know, Winnie, you know, when you're managing a team like the 
the team that I manage, he managed a, like he was a regional director. He managed like hundreds of employees, thousands of employees. And he said, the key thing is to remember that your responsibility is to communicate and you need to communicate regularly and often. And your team needs to trust that the message that you give them and then you walk next door and you talk to somebody else that that message is consistently the same. So that honesty and that truth needs to continue to be the same. And then there's a big thing called fair, but not equal. And he, and he taught me that as well. And so, um, you know, when I look back on my career, I've been so blessed to have him in my life, my business accountant in my life. So many people who um, guided me, who could ask questions and um, with, and I would not be here today without them. Um, so I learned, I think the key thing is to, to know, to be quiet and listen when people are trying to share wisdom with you. That's that, that served me very well. <laughs> the other one that you, which I think would be really useful for our listeners is the phrase fair, but not equal for, please share that because for those who are nervous or who have been burned by people that they've hired. I'm thinking about a few people who asked me this during the week. Please share that. Sure. So my manager's name uh, is John Knopp. He, well, he's not my manager anymore. He's retired. But John Knopp yeah. at Smith Barney, he taught me this. He said, it's called fair, but not equal. So for example, Winnie, like you're a top producer, you're in the corner office. And, but like the, the, the answer I give to you and the person and the person who's brand new is the same answer. But, you know, obviously you produce a lot more for our company. You're going to have a bigger office. And then, um, so I treat the other person, smaller producer fairly, but it's not going to be equal. It can't be equal. You need a bigger office. You make, you meet with more clients and sometimes bigger businesses, you know, so it's fair, but not equal. Uh, so everybody is treated fairly, but that person who brings more value, who's been at your company longer, will have things that are of their benefit. So the part-time versus full-time, right? So as long as it's transparent and you communicate that this, these are expectations and if you reach it at this level, this will happen to you as well. And that's the thing, it's the same like when you have kids, again, fair but not equal. If you, you need to make sure to be, and in fact, he taught me this really good thing. He said, it's totally okay to have a spreadsheet and to note that, okay, I gave this person, this person, this person, this thing today. And then next week I'll do this person, this person. And that way you make sure that when you have that big of an organization that everybody is accounted for. It can be applied in so many different ways. I mean, it, I, when I think about some of the discussions uh, this week or challenges that were presented to me this week in these webinars, this idea that they're not going to do it the same way as me. And I'm like, of course they're not. What would you say when someone says that, when they hit that challenge of they're not knowing how they're, because it sounds like you always hired well then. Oh no, I did not always hire well. Uh, okay, I, I, great. I, yeah, no, I'm so glad. No, no, <laughs> I've made plenty of mistakes in my time. Um, 
Like, uh, uh, and, and this is actually not that long ago. I actually, I think, you know, within the last five years, uh, maybe even 10 years, but uh, there was one employee that we had that uh, my best friend, actually, she's like, you need to hire this person. If I was hiring someone, I would hire her. She's this and that and that. I'm like, okay, but you know, she's kind of a friend. I don't know if I, oh no, but she's just that. So yes, so I hired her. And, and, and she was a nice person, but she was a toxic personality in that she, like being around her reminded me of being around my mom. So I was like, literally she's giving me stress. Um, and so, but I kept her long because she was a really nice person and she did try really hard, but it was just not the right fit. And I remember I kept her on longer than I should have. I think it was like over a year. And then when I finally told her like, this is just, you know, it's not working out, you know, because of whatever reason. And I let her mm. go. And then the rest of my team was like, oh, I'm so glad you finally let her go. And like all of them were telling me this. I'm like, why didn't you tell me this before? They're like, well, because you know, you wanted her and you know, we love you. And so I'm like, no, you have to tell me. So one thing that I've learned too is when it doesn't feel right, you need to cut quickly. So um, I, I now have this motto of letting go quickly. So when I bring on a new hire, I will tell them that it's a, you know, maybe a one month trial period or a three month trial period and be very upfront mm. with a new hire and just say, I just want to see if it's a good fit. But if, if, you know, this, at this point, at that juncture, we might, it might work out, might not work out, but I want to be honest with you before you join. And that's paid off quite a bit. So in that time, I've let some people go and it was the right move. We then ended up finding someone that's a better fit. One thing that I think has served me really well is I don't hire on skill. I usually hire based on personality and work ethic. And that I find to be much better because you might get an, a less inexperienced, an, an more inexperienced person, but you can train them and um, the right way. And they tend to be a much better fit in, in an organization. It works probably better in a smaller company like mine. You know, we only have like 12 people, but I'm sure if you, you know, hundreds and hundreds, it would be more difficult. How do you how do you tell their work ethic in a in an interview? Or do you wait until they're working for you in that one month period? So it's a good question. Uh, I have like a I have a exercise that I like to do when um, during interviews. So you know, obviously, when people come into the office, they they see the office and it can be intimidating. But ours is like it's really pretty. They tend to want to work there, and I usually have them answer a question in essay format. Like usually, I ask them to write a paragraph while they're waiting for whoever is going to interview them first. And the question is really simple. The question is, what's your favorite restaurant and why? And so they'll take a moment, they'll write down what their favorite restaurant is and why. And through that process, um, it's, first of all, it's not, a, not an intimidating question, so people tend to have an answer. But you really learn a lot about someone through their writing, their style, and how they mm. communicate, right? So someone who is like a hardworking person will go into detail about why they like it. And they notice like the server or the staff or um, the consistency, they, they tell it. Someone who's like, you know, just wants to get through the exercise will just say, my favorite restaurant is blah, 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 because the burger is good or something like that, right? So I've, I just made up this exercise by myself, but I may tell you it works so well and it's consistently delivering great people. I love this. 
I love this. I've one final question for you. You're so good to stay. My question for you is around this idea of women and their relationship with money. And there is this feeling that women have a very difficult relationship with with money more than men. What are your thoughts on that? Yes, absolutely. In my experience, because I work with um, clients of all walks of life and I have a really unique client base where I have a almost a 50-50 split of men and women clients. And I will say the consistent thing is women tend to underestimate their knowledge of money more so than men. And they feel like they don't know what to do and they feel like they don't have the experience, but they actually uh, tend to be, make much better investors because they're willing to learn and they're more patient and, and they're willing to see their investments, give them time to grow. So I do think that we know more than we think we know. We also make, mm. uh, studies have shown that women make most of the financial decisions in a household. Um, mm. Uh, they do definitely benefit from working with financial advisors. So I have a lot of uh, female clients who are like the breadwinners in their households or they are caregivers to kids and parents. Um, they really are just such dynamic individuals and just wonderful human beings, but they're also amazing investors. And so I would say that if you're listening and you're wondering, Yes, you should consider trying to invest. <laughs> uh, you know, make sure you have no debt, but then from there, start investing. What would you like people to walk away with today to improve their relationship with money and with wealth? I would say the first thing you want to do is commit to knowing that money is just a number and just a tool. It doesn't define you. It should never define you. Um, and I'll do what I do, right? Don't collect things, collect memories and collect a fat bank account. So don't, don't <laughs> look at buying new jeans and new coins and don't buy stuff. Instead, keep it socked away and then treat yourself whenever you've reached a certain milestone because you deserve it. And by treating yourself you know, practically and reasonably, you can look back and you can take care of those who you love. And that is the biggest financial gift that you, that feeling is like no other. It's wonderful. Thank you so much for joining me, Winnie. Thank you for having me. I'm so grateful to spend this time with you. I hope you enjoyed that episode. And if you'd like to find out more about Winnie, Check her out on most social media platforms or on her website at winniesun.com. That's W-I-N-N-I-E-S-U-N.com. And if you'd like to support the show, please leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts and reach out and let me know your takeaways from this episode. What would you like to know more about? Send me a message and I'll follow up.